Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PREP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Hey, hey, Rush Nation. It's Murph here. It's Thursday. And it's time for the staff takeover. Only, guess what? The staff haven't taken over. You've just got me in your ear holes for the second time on my own this week. I thought I would. Uh, just jump in this pod here just to talk a little bit about what my thought process is uh, in terms of when I'm thinking about fantasy football games. So typically the staff takeover would be looking back at week 11 and picking out some highlights from the games that have happened and some things to think about and take away moving forward when it comes to thinking about fantasy football or watching the games in general. However, when it comes to that it's not really worthwhile doing that on a Thursday. Week 11's dead. Nobody cares. It's in the books. It's done. It's dusted. We're worried about week 12. We're worried about sitting down and, and concentrating on our lineup. And what I tend to do is write down all the games and think about two or three questions that I kind of need to know when it comes to selecting players in those games. Some games are very, very easy because there hasn't been a lot of changes in the system and the team that year there hasn't been a lot of injuries there hasn't been a lot of upheaval in the position quite those games become very easy and there's someone who's been huge amounts of changes or things we haven't really expected from those teams this year and as a result then I need to dig a bit deeper and so that's where we're going to focus on today the reason uh, I'm not going to cover off a few games is either because they're quite linear in terms of 
they haven't really given a lot of difference to what they are from week one onwards, and we kind of know what we're getting out of those teams. So I'm going to talk about those at the end in a very brief uh, point of view. And I'm also not going to focus too much on, on Thursday night football. And the main reason for that is that even though you're listening to this on Thursday, this has been recorded in advance. There's a lot of game time decisions here, especially with uh, running backs for Indianapolis. We don't necessarily know who's starting. We don't know who's going to be fully fit. We lean towards it being Jonathan Williams, who came off the back of a, a big game, as we talked about last week. However, we don't know that for sure. So what I don't want people to do is take the advice uh, that you're hearing hours before the game and it's not necessarily completely up to date. What I will do for that game is sort of give you some suggestions as to who I'm starting, where I'm thinking they're going to be. So start with the Colts. Uh, Jacoby Brissett is, you know, he's a a possible start this week. He's kind of on the fringes of uh, QB1, high QB2 for me. He's a very functional quarterback. We don't know if T.Y. Hilton's going to play. That might change the rank ever so slightly. So at the moment, we're kind of just assuming it's going to be Zach Pascal, Chester Rogers, um, and then the backfield of Jonathan Williams and Naheem Hines. And that's kind of what we're thinking, or at least I, that's what I'm thinking as I'm recording this. So when it comes to the Colts, you could definitely think about starting Jacoby Brissett uh, in a uh, Superflex and two-quarterback league. He's a must-start for me. Jonathan Williams, if, if the backfield is just Jonathan Williams and Naheem Hines, and that's what we know, and we know that Wilkins and Mac, we know Mac's definitely going to be out, but if Wilkins is definitely out, Jonathan Williams is a start for me. If he gets anywhere near the production he got last week, he's, he's going to sit in that sort of RB2, high-end RB2 conversation. Naheem Hines is possible if you're in a really deep league and in, in PPR league because he's going to be the catcher back on third down. You can roll out Zach Pascal in this game. I don't know necessarily how effective he's going to be. I've got a, kind of got him in the wide receiver three territory. Outside of that, there really isn't anyone you need to uh, overly think about. Eric Ebron actually had a really good game against Tennessee earlier in the season, and he might be a player to target as well. So um, Jack Doyle got no catches last week. So it, it seems to me that Ebron is the more favored tight end at the moment. And that might be, uh, if you've got him as a tight end, he's one that's probably worth starting at this stage. Flip over to the other side of the ball. You're obviously starting Deshaun Watson. You're obviously starting DeAndre Hopkins. Those are absolute givens. You're probably going to start Carlos Hyde, although with that run defense, I expect him to be more in the wide receiver two conversation. Maybe that low end wide receiver two, Carlos Hyde. Duke Johnson is an absolute desperation play. I think he's more uh, wide receiver, th- uh, running back three. In this scenario, and in PPR leagues, he'll hold more value than in standard leagues. Um, but as he doesn't score touchdowns or get a ton of yards, he's pretty much non-startable in standard scoring. But in PPR scoring, he's probably that running back three uh, territory. Tight end, you've got Darren Fells, Jordan Aikens. You know, Darren Fells for me is a tight end too. Um, but if it's very limited options, you know, uh, happily roll him out. He, he might get in the end zone. He's a touchdown dependent fantasy player but he might get you like four for 40 or something like that and you know effectively that's what tight ends do outside of the elite ones nowadays um jordan akins is a very low end tight end too um i don't think he's overly startable i'm sure you can find someone on the waiver wire uh you can start over him at this stage so for for thursday night football those are the players that i would be starting uh, at this stage and then uh, if there is any more developments in terms of injuries, then you can consider those um, and reflect on those and feel free to drop us a message on Twitter at 5 Russia or follow the links on our bio to the Flick Chat and ask us there. So we're going to cover off uh, the Sunday games and more importantly, 
Uh, I'm going to cover off all the early games. I'm going to cover off one of the late games. And then the last couple of games on the slate, I'm just going to talk about in the same way that I just talked about uh, the Thursday night football game now, as that will give you sort of a good level of context as to what we're going to be talking about. And, you know, those teams haven't done much different from the season. Um, so just give you some top line information. We don't need to dig too deep because we know who, who the stars are. It's just where they're going to hopefully finish up for us or what they're likely to produce. And it's more of a matchup dependent than a, a scheme fit and volume dependency because uh, we kind of know what it's going to look like. So I'm going to start the Sunday night slate with Stocks' Broncos at the Bills. So the things I want to know here is, is Chris Harris someone that can be, you know, is he still going to be that, that shutdown corner and is he going to uh, be as effective uh, this week because he had a pretty ropey second half against Stefan Diggs and the Minnesota Vikings? And if so, and he's marking up John Brown, what's that necessarily going to mean for Buffalo uh, and specifically for John Brown and his production? Uh, I really want to know if, Wins- if Lindsay is that uh, A back and Freeman has drifted into that B back role instead of a 1A and 1B. Lindsay getting more production. And then also, is Devin Singletary going to be a relevant uh, running back this week for me to start in most leagues? So looking at Chris Harris uh, in particular, he had a pretty tough time against uh, Stefan Diggs in the second half. He had he had his number in the first half. Uh, Diggs had no receptions, uh, no yards, no production, wasn't in the box score at all. And Chris Harris has done that all season to just about everybody. But in the second half, Diggs came to play uh, as a result of some brilliant play from Kirk Cousins. And as a result, Chris Harris has given up his first touchdown of the season in coverage. But, you know, Stefan Diggs is an elite wide receiver and John Brown's had a very good year. And John Brown is a player that you can easily, you know, start most weeks. And I'm not saying necessarily we put him in the drop column this week, uh, but only if you're really stacked. If you're not, then it's more to temper expectations. He should still get maybe like 50 yards, but... Uh, he's not going to be a, a strong play this week. And, and the reason I say that is he's not an elite sort of touchdown machine. People really uh, lean towards the recency bias and look at, oh, well, John Brown had this massive game on Sunday. He got two touchdowns. He got 120-odd yards. He's, he's here. Like, he's, he's massively on form. But, you know, John Brown has four touchdowns on the year. Three of them are against Miami. One was week one against the Jets. And any time he he, he's against a, a, a defense in the league who – you know, is a top 10, top 15 D. He doesn't really overly uh, perform huge numbers. It's more of a five for 68 or four for 72 kind of uh, outing for him, which, you know, I mean, in, in PPR perspectives, it's low double digits. It's wide receiver two, low end wide receiver two numbers there. Um, and, and that's fine. It, it kind of ticks along, um, but he's not going to necessarily give you the stellar day that, that you would be hoping for. So, um, I do think uh, Chris Harris is someone who will bring the treatment once again. And I do think that John Brown is someone who I'm more cautious on this week than I am um, most weeks. But again, he is probably going to put you about 50, 60 yards this week. Uh, but I don't see it rooting to the end zone uh, against Chris Harris. Next question is more around Lindsay. So there has been a, a change in snaps lately. Lindsay's now up to... Just over 50% of snaps uh, his last few games. He's averaging 51% of snaps, and that's about where he sits for the season. But Freeman in his last few games has dropped down to 28% of the snaps played. It's quite a significant drop. Um, however, it doesn't look like the receiving work is really going to come the way of, of Lindsay. He's now sort of running routes uh, 
almost about half the amount that he was since Brandon Allen has come into play. Now, that's because Brandon Allen scrambles a little bit. He's got some wheels. He can move around the pocket a little bit. And also, since the trade with uh, for Emmanuel Sanders and trading him out, uh, a lot of the targets are going to Noah Fant. And so, effectively, you've got Lindsay competing for targets with Fant. It's not a competition anymore. So Lindsay's down to only running running on routes uh, where Allen goes to drop back around about 25% of the time the last two weeks. And that's per Dwayne McFarland's utilization report, um, which you can find on establishtherun.com. What that's saying to me is Lindsay is going to be the more productive back on the ground. Royce Freeman isn't startable for me, unless you're absolutely desperate and you're in a really super deep league. He's probably only going to get you somewhere between four or five points uh, this week. So I, for me, would be looking to start Lindsay, but Lindsay isn't going to get as much volume uh, in a PPR format. So if you've got a better PPR starter, then I would understand that. But I do put Lindsay in the end of running back two column. But to give you an idea, in those last two weeks, he had zero receptions in week 10. He had just two receptions in week 11 for eight yards. So don't be expecting uh, Lindsay to turn into a receiving back anytime soon. That takes me on to Devin Singletary. Is he going to be a relevant uh, running back this week? So looking at his volume, last week he had 15 rushing attempts for 75 yards, no touchdowns. Week 9 against Washington, another pretty poor team, uh, was 20 rushing attempts for 95 yards and one touchdown. And against Cleveland, it was eight rushing attempts for 42 yards and zero touchdowns. And Singletree is effectively going to be a game script dependent back now, the Bills are, you know, seven and three. They've got a good record. They kind of do a very good job at beating very bad teams. And any challenge that's been put upon them this year, they've been valiant and they haven't really been blown out of games. But, you know, Cleveland uh, put them away. The Patriots did. And so when it comes to the Bills, it's a question of can they get far enough in front early? And then do they use Singletree to kind of, uh, Singletary to kind of control uh, the game? And if that's the case, then Singletary can have a good game. Um, I'm kind of putting him into that anywhere between sort of 60 and 80 yards on the ground. He might get a little bit of receiving work, but I'm not overly reliant on it. So he might get a goal line carry or two, but it, that tends to be going to Frank Gore uh, when that does happen. So to give you some context, I, I've looked at all this, looked at the matchup, and I've kind of put him at, uh, running back 18, so that's towards the low end of the RB2 conversation. So uh, I do think he's a start, but just be wary that he's not going to give you that huge game that you can potentially get. And if the conversation is you're chasing points and you're chasing upside, you've got two running back spots, and your decision is, do I go with Jonathan Williams or do I go with Devin Singletary? Singletary is going to have, I think, the safer floor, but Jonathan Williams has that ability to maybe get you the 15 to 20 point range, which I kind of don't see that same ceiling for, for Singletary. So look at your matchup, look at your projected scores and look at how far behind you are in a close matchup. I always like to take the floor in a matchup where I'm trading heavily. I always like to take the ceiling unless I'm really just trying to chase wins for the playoffs and I need to go hell for leather. Then uh, again, I would probably chase the upside. So he kind of gets starts to get into that conversation for me. There are guys that maybe are ranked below him that might just have a little bit more potential and could blow off a, a slightly bigger score. So take that in mind when you, you're thinking, and this goes through my thought process 
quite a bit, so you're getting a bit of insight into what I do over the weekend when I'm thinking about my lineups. Next game is Giants at Bears. So the questions I'm looking to uh, understand here is who's going to be the Bears QB on Sunday? Is Darius Slayton fantasy relevant? And uh, what is going on with Saquon Barkley? And there's it's some really big questions uh, here, and I don't have the necessary answers to them, but it's just to help understand uh, a little bit around uh, what they could be. So in terms of the Giants, the Giants-Bears game, trying to understand who's going to be under center for the Bears. Now, the conspiracy theorists, and we talked about this on the podcast on Tuesday, around Mitch Trubisky, is he really injured? Did Matt Nagy just do a, a benching? And, and I really don't believe that that's the case. And, and the reason why is Chase Daniel doesn't offer you anything different uh, to what Mitch Trubisky has been doing at his worst. So keep in mind how bad Mitch Trubisky has been. Chase Daniel hasn't been any better in the two games that he played uh, in, it, as a backup and, and playing when Trubisky was hurt. Give you an average on the season. Uh, Trubisky is, is 22 or 35. He averages about uh, 200 yards a game. He's got 90 TDs and four interceptions on the season. He's been sacked 23 times. So that offensive line is a massive downgrade on where it was last season. Whereas to give you an example, Chase Daniel is 22 or 30. So the throwing percentage is slightly better, but they don't necessarily give him the complete control of the offense that Trubisky has had. And they lean more on the run with Montgomery. He averages uh, 213 yards. So again, pretty much about the same. You're, you're looking at about 0.6 of a point difference between the two of them from a yardage perspective. And he has uh, three TDs and two INTs. It's a smaller sample size, but if you were to scale that up, he actually is going to end up with a very similar uh, touchdown total to Trubisky, but he's going to have more INTs, he's going to have almost double the amount of INTs. And the yardage is not going to make up for that because they're fairly similar. So there isn't any, there isn't a statistical benefit to the Bears to drop Mitchell Trubisky for Chase Daniel because he's not going to give you anything you're not going to get out of Mitch Trubisky. And as I was saying on the pod, Matt Nagy almost needs to roll Trubisky out as his excuse of, it wasn't my play calling. He's just not very good. You know, Daniel also got five sacks in those two games. Um, and Chase Daniel also threw two, uh, you know, you got these two touchdowns were against Oakland, who were in the bottom four or five defense in the league to the pass. So 28 sacks in 10 games isn't good from the Bears' uh, offensive line. I think in terms of QB, I don't actually think it matters. And that's what I've kind of got to the conclusion. I think you're going to get the same result. The The only slight difference is Montgomery, if fit, will be leaned upon more uh, to run the ball. Or it might be uh, Tyreek Cohen, if it's him, uh, who gets the start. But uh, if it's Trubisky, they might throw more. So the only kind of, not positive, but I to think about is how this is going to affect Alan Robinson. So in that case, Alan Robinson is someone who will benefit more from having Trubisky in the lineup than Chase Daniel. So keep an eye on that situation. But from a quarterback perspective, it actually doesn't really change what I think is going to happen in the game. I think other than the fact that they might be slightly more run heavy with Chase and they'll be slightly passing heavier with, with Mitchell, but it's going to be relatively the same uh, output. And that's, I think, key to understand. Darius Slayton, is he going to be fantasy relevant? So made the case that I think uh, he, he definitely is. I think he's a player that, you know, since Shepard has been out with his concussion, is a player that's really seized his opportunity. So the first thing I look at is to understand that they're going to be fantasy relevant is to look at their snap share. Over the last five games, his uh, snap count has been 100% of offensive snaps, another 100% of offensive snaps, 87.7% of offensive snaps, 
100% of offensive snaps and 100% of offensive snap. He's had four red zone targets in his last three games. And he's had four TDs in his last three games. At this point in time, it's starting to really stack up that he is going to be fantasy relevant. Uh, the other wide receiver in the team that gets any kind of uh, targets and love at all is Golden Tate. He has had five red zone targets in the last three games, two touchdowns in the last three games, Golden Tate. But actually in the last two games, Darius Slayton has had more targets than Golden Tate. So the only real question still to answer, and I can't really answer this now until we get more information, we don't think... Sterling Shepard's going to play. The only person that's going to affect this is whether or not Evan Ingram comes back for Sunday's game. If he doesn't fire up Darius Slayton, he definitely gets a bump in the rankings. If not, I still think Darius Slayton, given his snap count, is highly relevant and is worth playing. He's kind of in that low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three conversation. So the last part is what's going on with, with Saquon Barkley. I started looking at... Uh, Saquon Barkley since he's come back from injury and kind of what he was doing before so Saquon Barkley would be touching the ball anywhere from sort of 25 plus times a game when when fully fit and since he's come back off injury his first game back was against Detroit and he had 19 carries for 64 yards and eight receptions that's 27 touches of the ball that's quite significant as kind of what we would expect the production necessarily wasn't there you can put it down to rush you can put it down to slight injury but you can put it down to blocking uh, wherever but you know the touches was was what was key to take out of that and against Dallas it was 14 carries for 28 yards which was a far less productive day and then he only had six receptions that's 20 touches and then against the Jets it was 13 carries for one yard and five receptions which is 18 touches so his touches are decreasing his production has gone through the floor uh, he was going from sort of four four and a half yards a carry to now he's around two uh, two yards to carry, uh, you know, against the Jets, he wasn't even at that. So there is something really going on with Saquon Barkley. The the question is whether or not the bye is going to be there to be thinking about. And if they've got the bye and the, you know, if he comes out of the bye and we're seeing these numbers again, do not be surprised if Saquon Barkley is benched for the remainder of the year. Because going into the bye, he didn't look overly healthy. Uh, I think at this stage, you've got to fire up and, and pick up Wayne Gorman if he's free in your league. He's someone you need to be adding to your roster because there's every chance Saquon Barkley plays this game, exits this game, maybe doesn't appear for the rest of the season. Alternatively, the bye could have done the world of good. We see his touch rate go back to 25, 30 touch, close to 30 touches. He starts the season production. You think, okay, fine. He was a little bit dinged up. He came back too soon, but he looks okay now. So just keep an eye on that. Uh, you've got to play him on Sunday because he's Saquon Barkley. He's a potential league winner. But do not be overly surprised if he exits this game and he's not 100% healthy. And if that's the case and you've got Wayne Gorman in, Wayne Gorman is a key because their fantasy playoff schedule is really, really good. So... Definitely add uh, Wayne Gorman, regardless of what's going on right now. Next uh, game on the agenda is Steelers at Bengals. I want to know if Joe Mixon is back to his best. Who's going to get the targets in Cincinnati with the injury of Alden Tate and AJ Green not fully fit? And who's going to get the targets in Pittsburgh? Now JJ, uh, now Juju Smith-Schuster and Deontay Johnson are highly doubtful for the game. Looking at this game, what's really interesting for me is that since they benched Andy Dalton, uh, Joe Mixon has been relied upon more. Uh, part of that's obviously to assist a, a rookie uh, running back, but also on top of that, they just seem to have got better with the offensive line. The blocking seems to be better. The lanes are starting to open up where they weren't there before. 
So in the last three games, Mixon, 42.5% of Mixon's carries for the entire year have come in the last three games, and 51.1% of his rushing yards of the season have come in the last three games. So he's definitely trending back up in the right direction. And we talked about on today, on Wednesday's pod, that he did get the first running back touchdown of the season. He's still not getting enough receptions for what he should be. But now his value from a rushing perspective does make him a little bit more palatable to start in teams. He's still not in that running back one conversation uh, that he should be in. But he's now uh, a much safer play the way he was at the start of the season where he was uh, borderline droppable. So have confidence to play Mixon this week. Don't expect a huge game out of him but you can get a relatively safe game out of him to put him in a running back spot and pull up a, a running back two kind of week. And uh, it just seems to me they are doing a bit more work on that offensive line. And Pittsburgh, everyone talks about the Pittsburgh defense, how good it is. You know, they, they have only given up four touchdowns on the ground this season, but they are also giving up 88.6 yards on the ground to running backs. So, you know, it looks like the Mixon will get the lion's share of that. Giovanni Bernard might might steal a carry or two. So I expect wide, uh, running back two numbers from, from Joe Mixon. So we look at the Cincinnati wide receivers and who do we think is going to uh, get the targets. Auden Tate is doubtful. Now he's been leading the targets in two of the last three games. Who Who is relevant in this lineup? So the first person that's relevant is Tyler Boyd, although his targets have been decreasing. He had really high target shares early in the week, under, uh, early in the season under Andy Dalton. Uh, his last three games have been nine targets, eight targets, and three targets. And the only other person really relevant in this uh, offense is uh, Erickson. And Erickson has had uh, seven uh, targets, two targets, five targets in his last three games. Everybody else is completely irrelevant. The... Uh, only other person to have got somewhat nominal targets outside of them and Gordon Tate. Uh, Stanley Morgan Jr. has got three, three or four targets in the last sort of handful of games. So it's, you could start Tyler Boyd as a potential low-end wide receiver too, and that's all down to Finley really. Maybe he might do, maybe with Gordon Tate out, he might get a little bit more of the portion. But more importantly, the Steelers are just going to target and take Tyler Boyd out of the game. So Erickson could be someone that's worth uh, picking up and starting this week because he might have a little bit more traction, but it is tying yourself to Ryan Finley as a quarterback. And that's something to be a little uh, wary of. So uh, I don't really like the option to start any of the st- of the Bengals wide receivers this week, but if hard pushed, uh, you could probably start them, but just don't expect huge results uh, despite the fact there not being any competition for targets outside of those two Pittsburgh as I mentioned you've got Juju and Deontay Johnson both dealing with concussions they've got pretty much the majority of the targets this year so who's going to catch balls for Pittsburgh uh, so James Washington's a must start for me this week you know he had a relationship with Mason Rudolph in college they went to the same college had the same team you know he's not absolutely dazzled with targets uh, he's trended in the last three weeks four targets seven targets uh, and then five targets last week against the Bengals in this defense it's not a great defense so I'd expect them to feel more confident passing the ball more um, I expect James Washington could be targeted up to 10 times in this game if both Juju and Johnson Johnson are missing and then you've got uh, Johnny Holton is the only other player that's probably going to get significant targets in this game. He actually had seven against Cleveland. Uh, I'm not saying you necessarily have to start Johnny Holton, but if you're in a really deep league um, and you're, you need a wide receiver four 
candidate to come through who's very under the radar. Johnny Holton is the guy. And it wouldn't overly shock me if he got into the end zone. But obviously, you can't bank on that. So have a little think and lie on Johnny Holton. And if it gets to Sunday and you're not sure and you, you hear the juju and Deontay Johnson are out and you need a wide receiver, Johnny Holton is probably someone that you can pick up last minute um, and stick in your lineup with uh, at least a hope that he could do something as a as an upside play. That takes me on nicely to the Dolphins who are at the Browns. So I want to know if the Dolphins are going to keep rolling out Kalen Balage. I want to know if OJ or OBJ is finally going to arrive in Cleveland and can Baker Mayfield kick on from his last couple of weeks. So looking at the peripheral numbers here, looking at Balage, so he is still a thing. Um, he had 11 carries last week, or there were 11 carries by the entire running back group last week against Buffalo. Balash had nine. He ran uh, nine uh, attempts for nine yards and one and one touchdown. Laird got one carry for seven yards, and Gaskin got one carry for zero yards. Uh, as I mentioned to you on yesterday's pod, Caden Balash is averaging 1.91 yards a carry. So he is uh, still a thing. If I go back to week 10, he had 20 carries for 43 yards, and Laird had two for four. Gaskin didn't even get a carry. Go back to week nine, it's a similar story. At the end of the day, Ballage is getting all the work. I don't know why. Um, I don't know why they don't roll out Patrick Laird. I don't know why they don't roll out, Mar- roll out Miles Gaskin. But the last thing you're going to do is predict a game where Kalen Ballage is getting less than 80 90% of the runs. So Kalen Ballage is still a thing. He's not startable for me at all. At the end of the day, you can't even think about picking up anybody else because everything on the ground is going through Caelan Balazs. Looking at OBJ and, you know, his last four games, you look at them through the box scores and the box score only, you think, what is wrong with Odell Beckham Jr.? And there's a, if you can expand the box score a little bit, you know, there is some context to this. So let's take the Pittsburgh game. He went four for 60 last week on Thursday night football. He actually was just like a knee away from getting into the end zone. It was a heck of a tackle to prevent him from getting in. But his last four games have been Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Denver, and New England, who are all top 10 defenses in the NFL. He went four for 60, five for 57, five for 87, and five for 52 against those. It's just that is the the story of his season. He's had no uh, touchdowns since week two versus the Jets. He's only got one touchdown. But the, the shocking uh, tale of the tape here is his season on paper isn't horrific if his name isn't OBJ. So he's got 48 receptions for 692 yards and one touchdown on the season. Now, the one touchdown isn't great, but 692 yards on the season isn't horrific. It's not outstanding. It's not going to get you into the Pro Bowl on all team. But he's only a couple of hundred yards behind the top three or four wide receivers in the league. And with his big playability, you know, he is someone who can make that up. And the schedule really opens up for him in the next four day, uh, four games. And this is going to apply to Baker Mayfield going forward as well. He's got Miami, Pittsburgh, Arizona, and Cincinnati. Or four of the next five games, they've got those, play, uh, those teams. So huge, huge, uh, hugely favorable schedule here for OBJ to find the end zone and to bounce back and rectify these numbers. And it ties in nicely with Baker Mayfield and can he kick on. So his last two games had two touchdowns. But he's also no interceptions. So go back to those defenses. Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Denver. He had no INTs. Against New England, he had one. 
So one INT in his last four games against those four top 10 defenses. Pittsburgh in particular were, were, were turning over the ball multiple times a game. New England turn over the ball multiple times a game. You know, at the, at the end of the day, Baker Mayfield has shown more poise. He's not putting up massive yardage numbers, but they have started to improve. He's starting to look a little bit more comfortable behind that line. And he's starting to find receivers more with a bit more confidence. So these two are inexplicably linked, but as the schedule starts to turn, they have started to show signs of life. And I think they're ready for a breakout. And I'd expect that to happen on Sunday. So you can start both of those players uh, and fire them up. Next is my Tampa Bay Buccaneers fire the cannons versus the Atlanta Falcons. They're at the Atlanta Falcons. So I want to know what's going on at tight end and who is going to be the Buccaneers tight end on Sunday. What potentially Rojo is going to do on Sunday and how many yards will Julio and Ridley get on on Sunday. So let's look at this uh, one at a time. So with Cameron Brait on, on Sunday, he had 14 targets of which he had 10 receptions. Uh, he, you know, he led the team in yards. He led the team in receptions. He was on the field in, in snaps um, quite significantly as well. And really, uh, O.J. Howard was, was punished uh, for a really bad mishandling of the ball on his back that uh, led to an interception, which has been charged to Jameis Winston. Bray seems to be the safer pair of hands. He's been dealing with his own rib injury. So in his last four games, he had six targets, zero targets, zero targets, 14 targets. And O.J. Howard, of course, was injured, so he had zero targets, zero targets, so he didn't play. And then he had seven against Arizona, and everyone thought this might be the breakout game, and he had one target on Sunday. I think if I was a, a betting man, I think it would be great that we'll get the majority of the tight end snaps. I think he'll get the majority of the tight end targets too. Uh, it just seems to me it's not working for O.J. Howard. He might need to go to a new team. Uh, there needs to be something that potentially changes in, in that relationship in Tampa because the way it's working for him right now is, well, it's not working. So I'd expect um, just looking at the snap counts and looking at the way things are trending and looking at the, the media reports, I expect Cameron Brake to go out there on Sunday. And if that's the case, he might be worth an at. He's the only tight end in the last three years to have six or more touchdowns in each of those seasons. So I'll say that again. So in the last three seasons before this season, he is the only tight end in football to have had a minimum of six touchdowns. He can catch the ball. He is who I think will be the starter and will play the majority of the snaps on Sunday. If you need a tight end, he's not a bad one to go and add, but it is a bit of a gamble. Now we look at Ronald Jones, and it is puzzled fantasy owners and fantasy analysts alike him for most of the season as to what is going on. Because when he's been on the field, he's, he's looked good. It's just a question of why is he not getting all of the ball? A lot of it is to do with game script. And looking at the way that the offensive coordinator, Byron Leftwich uses Rojo, you can tell in games where they're trailing uh, significantly and chasing the game versus games where they at least have a lead. Um, his usage is massively different. So against Tennessee, for example, where the Buccaneers, they sort of had the lead, gave the lead back, were chasing the game for good portions of that. Uh, he was ran out 11 times for 35 yards, and he had one catch for, for seven yards. And then against Seattle, where they had the lead for large portions of the game, he had 18 carries for 67 yards and a score on the ground. He had two, ca- uh, two catches for 15 yards. Against Arizona, where uh, they were in the lead and won the game, he only had 11 carries for 29, but he was targeted eight times via the screen for 77 yards. So they still designed and used him 19 times. Again, 20 times... He touched the ball against Seattle at Seattle 19 times. He touched the ball uh, against Arizona. And, and they were games where they led for good portions of the game, 
try and control the game, take time off the clock. Uh, against Tennessee, where they were chasing the game, his usage went massively down, but he's still where they were leading, got 12 touches. Against New Orleans, where they were down 20 to nothing before uh, they knew what was going on, his touches were six for 14, four on the ground for 13, two catches for one yard. The scheming and the thinking behind Byron Leftwich is when they're behind in a game, it's throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. And that's all they do. They abandon the run completely. Don't try to establish it. The question you need to think about with Ronald Jones is can the Buccaneers at least lead for portions of the game? It's not whether or not they win the game. Because as we know with the Buccaneers, they either win or lose games in the last, the last few minutes or they get blown out. Now, if they get blown out, then Ronald Jones is not going to be effective. If he's not going to be blown out and the game is going to be tight, he will be used in greater volume. So when you're looking at matchups with the Buccaneers and they have an easier schedule going forward, Ronald Jones is a better starter now than he was earlier in the season because they're less likely to be blown out. And okay, you've got Jameis and the interceptions and everything to do with that, but he is less inclined to be blown out of these games because he's playing poorer teams. And we know that they can put up points. I expect this one to be a shootout. I do expect the Falcons to win the game, but I do think the Buccaneers will lead in parts of this game. And I do think it'll be competitive. So I do think Rojo has some value. It's just, is he going to be 12 touches or 10 touches? Or is he going to be 18 to 20 touches? Because that's the difference between him being a running back three and a mid to high end running back two. And that's the thought process of me going forward with Rojo. So uh, I hope you find that useful and, and you can make your decision however you wish. Uh, Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, I think personally they're going to have a huge day, in particular for Julio Jones. So Julio Jones's record against Tampa at home in the last five years. In 2018, he had 14 targets, 10 receptions for 144 yards and no touchdowns. In 2017, he had 15 targets, with 12 receptions for 253 yards and two touchdowns. In 2016, it was eight targets, four receptions for 66 yards and one touchdown. I'm going to caveat that and say that that was week one of the season. So no one had really got going at that stage. It's almost like an extension of preseason. 2015, he had 13 targets, 12 catches for 162 yards and one touchdown. In 2014, he had 11 targets, nine catches for 161 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, that is pretty embarrassing considering that every year they just rely on Julio Jones at home and they win the game. Those are huge numbers. We're not talking, these are league leading top three in the position numbers in a week. So he is a player who at home against Tampa puts up massive numbers. And this Tampa secondary is worse than it has been in any of the last five years. He could have an absolute monster of a day. He, you know, if I'm looking at this now, I can see him having anywhere between nine and 12 catches for anywhere from 130 to 250 yards and at least one touchdown. And he is an absolute nailed on for me, wide receiver one this week. It will take an exceptional performance to beat him this week. (sighs) You know, Tampa are giving up at the moment, their defense, 208.6 yards per game to wide receivers. They've given up 18 touchdowns on the season to wide receivers. They're giving up 46.7 points per game to wide receivers in fantasy. I mean, they're huge, huge numbers. Also, just to mention Julio Jones, let me mention his home games. He, in those five years, he's had four other, he's had three other, four other games where he scored over 100 yards, and then he had one 93-yard game. So in 10 outings, his last 10 outings with the Buccaneers, he's had 
over 100 yards in eight of those, a 93-yard outing in one, and the worst performance came in week one in 2016. We went for 466 and one. I mean, fire up Julio Jones this week, and uh, you would anyway, but he is going to have an absolute monster. And if you're playing him this week, be chasing upside because he, he could put up a really, really big number. And the same goes with Calvin Ridley. Uh, I think he, he could be also a wide receiver one this week. There isn't anyone that's going to overly cover Julio, so they might just keep feeding the ball to Julio, and that is going to be the only downfall to Ridley. But Ridley, I still think, can get in the end zone. I think he's someone that could get anywhere between 60 to 100 yards on his own with a score as well. So fire up both these te- uh, both of these. Ridley's the one who I think is probably less likely to have the monster. And I think you can almost take the monster game for Julio Jones to the bank. Moving on to Panthers uh, at the Saints. So I want to know, is Kyler Murray or is Alvin Kamara back to full health? And if so, what does that mean uh, for Latavius Murray? Do How am I ranking the Carolina, Carolina receivers with Kyle Allen? And is there any other pass catcher relevant for New Orleans in this game that isn't Michael Thomas? So I'll start with Alvin Kamara. His touches in games all season have been 20, 14, 25, 20, 22, 18. And then that was the game he got hurt. He didn't finish the game. And zero because he was injured, zero because he was injured by 12 the week after the week he came back and then 23 last week. So he tends to get above 20 touches. And when he's at that range, that says to me he's, uh, he's back to being at full health. And he got 122 yards from scrimmage on Sunday against a pretty good uh, Tampa defense against the run. Now, when I look at that with Murray with Kamara, these are his numbers. He has, when he's played with Kamara and they've both played, he's gone eight for 47, six carries for 23, two for two, five for 20, nine for 34, 11 for 79. And that was the game in which Alvin Kamara got injured. Uh, seven for 19, 12 for 32. The Savius Murray is irrelevant when Alvin Kamara is fully fit. And the only way we can tell uh, Alvin Kamara is fully fit is if he's being productive and he's getting the volume. Last Sunday, we saw he had 23 touches of the ball for 122 yards. I'd say he's pretty healthy. He ran pretty well. He looked pretty good. So I think you can easily put Alvin Kamara as the top four running back again. I think he's back to where he was. I don't have the same issues and concerns with him as I do at the moment with Saquon Barkley. So therefore, by that token, Latavius Murray is irrelevant. He's not had a good game without Alvin Kamara playing. So I think you can, I wouldn't say drop because Latavius Murray is a premium handcuff. He's probably the one of the, if not the handcuffs to own. So I would start Alvin Kamara and I would bench Latavius Murray. Now, looking at the Carolina wide receivers, who we've got here, David, uh, DJ Moore in his last three games, and this is when Khan hasn't been great. I mean, they only scored three points on Sunday. His last three games, DJ Moore, are seven for 101, nine for 120, and eight for 95, and he's not scored in any of those games. He, for me, remains at the back end of the wide receiver one conversation, uh, despite Kyle Allen getting found out, despite him turning over the ball, despite him not scoring much. He is still getting yardage and production. So DJ Moore, you can feel confident that he's going to perform. It's whether or not he gets in the touchdown that takes him over the top. He's not really put it in the touchdown column that often this season. And, and the reason for that is Curtis Samuel is the back they tend to use in those short yardage uh, situations, the, the wide receiver in the short yardage situation. So in Samuel's last three games, he's gone for 364 and one, 435 and one, and four for 25 and naught. So Curtis Samuel is the guy getting the touchdowns. 
in shorter yardage situations, DJ Moore is the one stretching the field and one making the big plays. DJ Moore is easily in the wide receiver two column at top end of the wide receiver two column. Uh, he gets into the wide receiver one conversation with a touchdown. Uh, Samuel is a wide receiver three without a touchdown. He might get into the wide receiver two in PPR if he scores. Greg Olson, by the way, is someone you can start. I mean, his game logs don't look massively impressive, but for tight end, it's, it's good enough for back end tight end one numbers. Uh, his last three games are three for 40 and naught, eight for 98 and naught, five for 57 and naught. So again, so the five catches, 57 yards in, in PPR, it's putting him in the tight end one conversation at the bottom end. So you can, you can start Olsen, he's a low end uh, tight end one. So now looking at pass catches that aren't uh, Michael Thomas for New Orleans. So on Sunday, just gone. Ted Ginn uh, was the only receiver not named Michael Thomas to catch a ball. He caught two for 14 yards and he got a score. Uh, in week 10, Traycon Smith was the only one to catch a ball. He caught one reception for 13 yards. In week 8, Ted Ginn had uh, two for 42. Harris had two for 17. Carr had one for nine. And then in terms of the receivers, their catch totals in their games after week one, because week one they just went off. In week two, four receptions. In week three, two receptions. In week four, three receptions. In week five, two receptions. In week six, two receptions. In week seven, two receptions. So it doesn't matter who's at quarterback. The scheme is suggesting it's Thomas, it's Kamara or Murray. And then the last person who's relevant is Jared Cook. His last four games, he's gone four for 41 and one, three for 37 and one, six for 74 and naught, two for 33 and one. So you can start Jared Cook again. He's similar to Olsen, probably slightly above Olsen. The tier he's, he's getting touchdowns on, on a regular basis now. So I would say Jared Cook is uh, mid-tier tight end one. There is no other tight end you can even consider than just not getting the catches and not getting huge target rates either. So from a Saints perspective, it's Kamara, it's Thomas, it's Cook, it's Breeze, and that is it. So don't think about adding a, a Saints wide receiver. It's just not worth it and not worth the the health. Seahawks at Eagles. Seahawks at Eagles. Uh, I want to know uh, who's going to catch the ball for Philadelphia. Uh, Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz both startable as tight ends. And can I start DK Metcalf in this game? So Philadelphia, their wide receiver core has been, there's no word for it, it's been trash this season. Week 11 against the Pats, they had as a core, six receptions for 75 yards. Week nine against Chicago, eight receptions for 62 yards. Week eight against Buffalo, eight receptions, 71 yards. Uh, week seven against Dallas, four receptions, 62 yards. Aguilar isn't really doing much. He's caught four passes, three passes, four passes in his last three games. Jeffrey's injured. That could move to five, but he's not really getting any production. Since week two, Aguilar has had three touchdowns. In the air, and that was week two and week three. Ashraf Jeffries had two touchdowns in week four, week six. Uh, outside of those two, no one has had a wide receiver catch uh, for a touchdown uh, since then. Aguilar is the only player really in this wide receiver core. You could even consider it a push, but he isn't really, for me, fantasy relevant. So um, I'd be leaving the entire uh, wide receiver core for Philly. So if you've got Jordan Matthews, you can cut him. You've got Jeffrey, you can probably cut him now. Anybody like that, they're just not going to... You can find a guy on waivers. You can stream a guy every week at the wide receiver position that will give you more production uh, than any of the wide receivers for Philly. Now, looking at Ertz and Goddard. So, the last six weeks, Goddard has been uh, the tight end 12 in fantasy football. Uh, his uh, stat lines are 5 for 48, 4 for 69, 
and one, three for 22 and one, four for 39 and three for 36 and one. So in three of those games, he had more catches and more yards than Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz is naturally startable. He's, if you've got him on your roster, he's a, a top five tight end in, in fantasy football. But Goddard is a, a low end tight end one with those numbers and he's getting more and more touchdowns, three in his last five or six games. So I would be quite happy to start Dallas Goddard. If you're in a, a dynasty league, your tight end position has been hurt and you've had Goddard as a stash, you can uh, fire him up, take him off your taxi squad uh, or, or play him. He'll do just enough in the position. He's not going to do any worse than anybody that's on the waiver wire right now. Can I start DK Metcalf? So other than three for 26 and naught against San Francisco, he has been the top 24 wide receiver, excuse me, in his five previous games uh, before the bye. So in terms of Philly, they are the ninth worst defense against uh, wide receivers for fantasy football. They've given up 15 touchdowns. They've given up 175 yards a game. It's fantasy football. So Metcalf is, is startable in this game. He is going to get production. Uh, I, at the moment, have him ranked 23 for the week. I can see him as sort of a low-end wide receiver two, which I have ranked. Could drop into a high-end wide receiver three, depending on that volume. But ultimately, there's enough volume there. We know with the Seahawks, you can start Carson. You can start Lockett. You can start Hollister. You can start Metcalf. You can start Wilson. Uh, it's a very easy route that you can start anybody who's getting any kind of uh, volume in that offense. Lions at Redskins, this is a game I'm not overly looking forward to, to watching at the weekend, but uh, needs must and everything. So I want to know if Jeff Driscoll is startable, if I need him. Uh, who is going to be uh, the running back for the Lions and who can I start in fantasy football for the Redskins? Driscoll, in his last two weeks, actually hasn't done too badly. I uh, Week 10, he went 27 to 46 for 269 and a touchdown with an INT. That was against the Bears, 37 yards rushing. Uh, week 11 is 15 for 26, 209 uh, yards with two touchdowns, 51 yards rushing and a rushing TD. So those performances make him uh, low end, actually probably high end QB2. So his rushing floor gives you an extra three to four points a game. More importantly, he doesn't overly turn the ball over. It's only a sample size of two games. I get it, but... Most QBs in that position will try and uh, position and, and panic and, and push the ball, but actually he's done a, a pretty good job. So in a two QB league, he's a must start. In a one QB league, there is probably better options out there. But if you're not and you're really hard-pressed and people are stashing QBs, roll out Jeff Driscoll for another week. I think he's perfectly fine to start. The Redskins' D isn't going to hurt him too much. So I think you can feel all right um, starting him in this game. In terms of running backs in this game, I mean, that's a... That's a, a great question. We're still waiting on some injury news. Mo Scarborough had the, the game last week. You've got Ty Johnson there who was heavily tipped. You've kind of got, and you've got JD McKissick. Uh, effectively, the smart money based on last week with Driscoll rolling out there is Mo Scarborough will get the majority of the carries. Ty Johnson will be the receiving back and JD McKissick will do a combination of the two and maybe even be the red zone guy. Although Scarborough also got into the end zone. Ultimately, my question is, no matter how much I, I, or the answer is, no matter how much I look at the data, it's such a small sample size, it's impossible to tell. We all thought Brian Hill was going to go off. The situation was made for him and he he didn't. We, you might as well light a candle. I would say if you need to press and play Scarborough, he would be the one of the three I would play. But I'm not overly excited about any of these from a real big prospect of having a huge day. But most Garber's got the hot hand. So I guess that's the one that you ride. Uh, and then who I would start for the Redskins. Uh, it's pretty simple. It's Terry McLaurin. And that is it. Uh, Terry McLaurin for me is someone who uh, I've got ranked in the 
wide receiver two territory. The running backfield is, is muddled. Guys isn't going to get a huge majority of snaps, but he got sort of the late quarter snaps when the game was done. Adrian Peterson will probably start the game. They'll probably flip-flop between the two, depending on the game script. Uh, you'll see Kelvin Harmon probably roll out now. He's back from IR, but he's not going to be overly relevant. It's going to be just, it's a model. I'd say that Terry McLaurin is a wide receiver two. I would say that Haskins is the second worst quarterback, or third worst quarterback, because I count Taysom Hill in there, that I've got ranked in my ranking. So he's someone I, I don't really want to touch and play. If it's a flex spot, like a super flex, I'd actually rather flex somebody else in. So really just looking at the numbers, there isn't anybody that you can start uh, from that backfield. So pretty straightforward one there. Raiders at Jets. So I want to know, is is Darnold reliable? Uh, which Jets can I start? And which Oakland wide receivers can I start? So as I mentioned on the on the podcast on Tuesday or Wednesday, Donald is reliable. Um, his last two games have been pretty good. Four touchdowns last week. He you know has been highly rated in the last two weeks, safely in that QB one territory. It's another great matchup for him. As I said, the schedule will begin to turn. He's someone that responds well from from injury. So the Oakland Raiders defense is uh, one of the bottom five in the league. Uh, they don't uh, really produce uh, much in terms of turnovers. So. You can roll out Donald this week um, with absolutely no problem at all. Which Jets wide receivers can I start? So I took a look at uh, four wide receivers here and what they've done in their last few games. So first I looked at snap rate, which surprised me that Robbie Anderson had the highest amount of snaps played because he has 83% of the snaps he plays on. Now, in terms of his pre-recent performances, two for 33, one for 11, one for six and one. So... He's not putting up any numbers that are significant in any way. I think for me, he's droppable despite the fact he's out there the most of the the four that I'm going to talk about. The next one is Demarius Thomas. His last three games, he actually has 12 catches for 147 yards. He's on the field 65% of the snaps. He doesn't get in the end zone. He is someone who, if you're in a really deep league and you're absolutely desperate to just get someone who's going to roll you out four catches for 50 yards uh, and, and you kind of need those nine PPR points, then Demarius Thomas is fine. He, he'll get that kind of volume. It looks pretty consistent and pretty safe. Uh, and he's out there, like I said, 65% of the time. So he's likely to be on the field to, to catch those. The one that surprised me from snap percentage was Jameson Crowder. So he's actually only on the field for 58% of snaps. Uh, but when he is, he does have three touchdowns. These last three games, he's got one touchdown in each. He's led the team in catches. He's led the team in yards and touchdowns. So when he's on the field, he's getting all the work. So if you see Crowder on the field, more than likely, he's the one that's going to be getting the ball. So you can go ahead and start Crowder. He's in the low end uh, wide receiver two range for me. Uh, he gets a boost if he gets a score. The one that I had no idea was Vincent Smith. So Vincent Smith is actually getting th- he's on the field 30% of the snaps, which I just had no idea. Uh, he's not pick up a ball. He's not startable in, in the NFL or in fantasy football. I'm sorry. He sort of has one target in each of his last two games, but he's not overly relevant. So you can go ahead and uh, yeah, you can go ahead and just uh, not even think about picking him up. Uh, as for the Raiders uh, wide receivers, I looked at uh, three here, which was Williams, Renfro and Jones. Tyrell Williams. So I've looked at their last four games just to get an idea of picture. So their last four games, Tyrell Williams snap percentages wise is 89%, 82%, 84%, 73%. Targets, he's had six, four, five, and four. Receptions, he's had three, 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 and four. Uh, Yardage, 91, 48, 
25 of 82, and he has got one touchdown in that time. So he's someone that you can play. He's not overly exciting. You know, he, he went through that phase where he was scoring a touchdown every game. That seems to have gone. The player who's sort of picking up traction, which surprises me because his snap count is actually decreasing, is Hunter Renfro. Uh, his snap share is 64%, 54%, 53%, 44%. Uh, targets are 4, 7, 5, and 6. Uh, tar- receptions are 4, 6, 4, and 5. And yardage, 88, 54, 42, and 26. He is someone that you can... you can. He's probably a low-end wide receiver 3. Uh, he is almost touchdown dependent. But um, the worry for me is that snap count is going down. The one who's trending upwards in terms of snap count is Zay Jones. Uh, 39%, 92%, 67%, 69%. He's pretty consistent, but not uh, outstanding. He's sort of getting anywhere between two and three catches a game for around about 20 to 25 yards and no score. But the amount he's on the field, I can see him trending upwards. Um, I think he's someone, don't forget he came in mid-season as a waiver ad um, or or a trade. So he's someone that didn't get the benefit of training camp and used to the system and used to the offense, but he's being rolled out more. Zay Jones might be a very, very, very sneaky ad just to look at because all the production's peripherals are starting to trend upwards. He's starting to be on the field more. He's starting to be a bit more relevant. I'm not saying he's going to be a wide receiver one, but he could be a nice person to add in the next couple of weeks because I, he, a breakout game is coming. It's just whether or not you're going to be on the train when that happens. The last game we're going to talk about in any detail is uh, the Jaguars at the Titans. Jaguars at the Titans, I want to know, uh, can I start Nick Foles and Ryan Tannehill in uh, Superflex leagues? Which Jags wide receivers can I start? Which Titans can I start? Again, we know with the running backs in this situation, you can start uh, Henry. He had that huge game against the Jags last year, over 200 yards. And we know Fournette's going to, if he gets the carries, is, is startable. So these are why I ask more of the wide receiver questions because they've had so much change or lack of production and the change of quarterbacks as well. Foles at Indy, I was surprised when I looked at this in more detail because I didn't think he had a good game when watching it. But fantasy-wise, it was okay. 33 for 47 for 296, two touchdowns, one interception. Tennessee's defense is 17th against fantasy quarterbacks. They're giving up around 273 yards. Uh, a game offense, 1.7 touchdowns, 0.9 INTs they collect, uh, and they give up 18.2 fantasy points. And Foles, I think, is going to be in that realm. I do think he is going to get that uh, 18 fantasy marker, just a couple of touchdowns, an interception, circa sort of 275, 300 yards. Uh, he, he offers no rushing stability. That's the one thing against Foles. He doesn't really scramble or do that much. I don't think he will coming back from injury either. Tannehill, he's sort of for fantasy boom or bust in the fact that he's either under 200 yards or he's over 300 yards passing but he does get touchdowns two touchdowns in each of his last four games the Jags have the 19th best defense against fantasy quarterbacks they're averaging 241 yards uh, against the pass uh, 1.7 touchdowns 0.8 INT so again very very close in terms of the numbers 17.6 fantasy points uh, the big difference between Tannehill is he offers that that rushing floor uh, 38, 37 yards rushing on the ground in his last two games. I would say, so I haven't ranked Foles at 16, Tannehill at 17. I have literally back-to-back. So that says to me in a one-quarterback league, I'm not going to start them. In a two-quarterback league, I'm quite happy to start them. If I needed them in a one-quarterback league, I'm very happy to go 
with either. They're kind of fine. They're not going to do much. They're going to score around 18 fantasy points. If one finishes above the other, it's not going to shock me. They're going to be in the same sort of conversation realm for me. I think Foles will get a little bit more traction in the air. I think Tannehill will game manage a little bit better, uh, but he will pick up his numbers. I don't think he's going to get much beyond 200 yards passing, but I think that that's safe sort of a three, nearly four points you'll get in rushing uh, kind of just brings it to be a little bit safer. So both of you can start in Superflex, both of you can start in two quarterback league and you should. And in, Q, in a one QB league, you know, if there's not better options, uh, you can feel fine starting them and rolling them out at ranking a QB 16, QB 17 this week. Jags wide receivers, DJ Chark. DJ Chark is really the only one that you can start with any confidence at this point. So Chark in week one, four for 146 and one. Uh, when Foles left the game in the first quarter, he was over 60 yards uh, of receptions, Chark, and the TD was from Foles. Last week, uh, Chark got eight for 104 and two. So you can go ahead and start Chark. He's in that sort of uh, wide receiver two, wide receiver one. I think I've got him ranked uh, as uh, wide receiver 10 overall this week. Um, so he's someone that you can start. Uh, I wouldn't start any other wide receiver. And then as for Tennessee, uh, I wouldn't start any of the wide receivers. And the reason why is looking back at their last five games, uh, they've just come off by. Uh, their wide receiver core is four for 112 and one, 16 for 244 two, four, four and zero. Against Tampa Bay, 10 for 62 and two. Ironic, it was their worst game considering how bad that Tampa secondary is. Week seven against... Uh, the Chargers 18, 203 and 2, and uh, week 6, Denver 11 for 106 and 0. And you think, oh, they don't sound too bad. It's a bit hit and miss, but you know, it, it doesn't sound too bad. The reason I say you can't really start uh, any of the wide receivers is the work is equally shared. So the best performer of all these is AJ Brown. So to give you AJ Brown's numbers in the last uh, five games working backwards from week 10 to week six uh last week uh, week 10 against kc he was one for one catch for 17 carolina four for 81 tampa bay two for 11 and a touchdown Chargers six for 64 denver two for 23 and then Corey davis he didn't play against kansas city uh four for 48 two for nine six for 80 and one three for 36 Humphreys, one for 23 and one, four for 65, three for 24, four for 40. They just spread the ball around. Everybody gets a little piece, but no one is going to be in the wide receiver. you're an absolute push. I really need one. AJ Brown is the one you can roll out there, but he's in the wide receiver four conversation for me. Uh, nothing more, nothing less. So I would uh, get out of Dodge and not start any of them. So as I mentioned, I uh, appreciate this pod being a bit long. I'd just like to give you all a bit of thought process, and I've gone into a lot of numbers here. So, But the reason I do this is I want you to get our thought processes and what we do, Stocks and I, and how we analyze the game and a little bit of insight and some of the questions we ask and uh, some of the numbers. And if you want help in terms of where we get these numbers, we can share some of that with you. Uh, some of them are from subscription services that are kind of gifted to us um, or we have access to for whatever reason. The three games left to talk about on the slate, 9.25 on Sunday is Cowboys at the Patriots. Again, these teams haven't had any major changes. Patriots, you can start Brady. I think he's in for a good game this week. Edelman's a start. Sanu has a slight injury. You can keep an eye on that one uh, and see what happens there. I wouldn't start Michelle. Uh, you can start James White in the wide receiver two, high end wide receiver three conversation. But Michelle is a, a no-go for me against the, the Dallas run defense, which, I mean, it's not the best in the world, but it's certainly not bad either. Um, he is a touchdown or bust 
uh, candidate and I don't like that option here this week. And then tight end is a miss for for them. And the Cowboys, they're playing the Patriots at Foxborough. This is a game where I think Zeke will do rather well. I think he'll be leaned upon most of all. I think Tony Pollard will have some impact on this game. I think they'll get the most success running the football. The interesting matchup here will be, does Stefan Gilmore mark Amar, or cover Amari Cooper, who is hobbling and is injured, Uh, a little bit, or do they put all their attention on Gallup? My guess right now is I think that they put Stefan Gilmore on Gallup since he's in form and uh, a little bit more pacey, whereas you know that Cooper's just going to guard the, he's just going to cover the sideline. So I would be moving the, switching the corners uh, for this game, but I don't, I mean, you can roll Cooper out there, you can roll Gallup. I've got Gallup as a low right receiver three this week, the tight ends are uh, not really startable for me this week. It's the Patriots defense they've given away. Not a lot of touchdowns this year, so you need to take that into consideration. The 120 game, Packers at 49ers. The only questions really here around the 49ers backfield. Coleman's a little bit dinged up. Sanders, the wide receiver, is a little bit dinged up. Matt Breeder's dinged up. Raheem Mostert is dinged up. You could get really sneaky and pick up Jeff Wilson. He could do a little something in this game. Packers uh, aren't the best against the run. They're much better in the air. I like Debo Samuel in this one. If Sanders does go, I'd start him. Uh, Ross Dwelly, because it doesn't look likely Kittle's going to go. He got a couple of scores last week. He's someone as a sneaky one-week ad. If you've got Kelsey, for example, he might be a good little pickup there for you for a week or so. On the Packers side of the ball, it's pretty narrow. You start with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is going to be a mid-tier QB1, so around sixth. Uh, I think going back to that sixth or seventh you've got Devontae Adams who should do reasonably well I mean I don't think he's going to be like absolutely top draw but I think he's a wide receiver one this week start Aaron Jones and you can probably start Jamal Williams if you're desperate I'd expect Aaron Jones to be a high-end wide receiver one um, running back one this week he's going to run in at least a couple of scores for me that seems to be the way to beat the 49ers it's gonna be a very very good game on Sunday night football those two but ultimately there hasn't been a lot of change there uh, Garoppolo, I think, is a low-end QB1. I forgot to, to mention him. So uh, you can go ahead and fire him up if you need to as well. And then uh, Monday Night Football, you've got the, Ra- the Ravens at the Rams. Ravens start them all. Start them all. Uh, Mar Jackson's the best quarterback in football right now. You start him. Uh, you start Mark Ingram for what he can do. You know, I mean, Marquise Brown. I mean, the only issue with Marquise Brown is he might get the Jalen Ramsey. So maybe you don't start him, actually. But you know that those two uh, I've mentioned are going to be the big differences. Mark Andrews, you can start. Uh, I think he's going to have a good game. I think uh, Nick Boyle and Hayden Hurst can also play a part in this. The Rams aren't particularly great against the tight end. So all three of those could get uh, contributions, but Mark Andrews must start, obviously. Uh, on the Rams side of the ball, Goff doesn't look too good. Now he's playing a very good Ravens defense. I don't think this is going to be another good night for them. I think Gurley's going to be kept in check with the run in particular. I think what we saw, I think they're going to revert to pass the ball a good 50 times in this game, potentially, if they get that many possessions. Um, and when that happens, that's not good for Gurley. That's not good for Malcolm Brown. They might steal a goal line score, but that is what you're depending on. So just be very careful of those. It's Cooper Cup all the way. Robert Woods, we don't know what the personal situation was. Therefore, we don't know how that's going to go. Brandon Cooks, I think he's already been ruled out. Uh, Josh Reynolds, I don't think he's really relevant in this game at all. So uh, I wouldn't start golf. I think you can you can 
you can cut him and find somebody better. Start Gurley if you have to, and I understand why you would need to start him, but just be cautious that he's touchdown or bust. This week, I'd start Cooper Cup. Um, Gerald Everett's looked a bit worse for wear over the last couple of weeks. Uh, he got one catch last week. I mean, tight end is such a scarce position. You, you probably should play him, but don't be surprised if he only comes away with one catch again this week. So uh, he's a bit questionable for points, but I don't really like anyone this Rams offense uh, at the moment. And who would have thought 12 months on from the 54-51 game that I would be saying that on a podcast. So there you go. That's the the games for this week, for week 12. I hope you have found this session useful and this podcast useful. Please do like and subscribe to the podcast. Please do write us a review. You can ask me anything uh, in, as long as it's a five-star review, of course, and it's clean and I can read it out on the podcast. Do uh, get in touch with us on the social channels, uh, in particular Twitter is where we drive most of the activity. Do join our Flick Chat where we're trying to build a community on there as well. Really appreciate all the feedback we get. Uh, love some feedback on this show because it is something very different. There aren't many people that do a, a show like this, so uh, give us some feedback as to what you think. Was it too stats heavy was it not stats heavy enough did it help you with your process because this is the kind of process they go through week to week and let us know what you think because i think it's useful to do an exercise like this once a week rather than just ask your favorite fantasy guys which i mean if you want to ask us that's fine and if we're not your favorite shame on you um i'm just kidding there's some great fantasy analysts out there um but i really hope you get a lot out of this podcast i hope it's helped you think about uh, how you get to start sits and start to think about your own start sits. Don't forget, we have got vacancies if you want to write for us, and maybe there's opportunities to do podcasts with us as well. So you can get in touch. But uh, until tomorrow with our guest, Rush Nation. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforyoumc.org. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.